Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net We have a very interesting program today and our first guest brings us information that, that I've, I personally think is very important to any small business. It's called Ransomware and our guest is Heather Wagonhalls she she's many things, and I'll just uh, welcome her to the program and ask her to tell us a little bit about herself personally before we get into this very important topic. Heather, welcome. How many things? I have so many hats I wear, and I enjoy all of them. Well, just tell us a couple of your hats. Because I know our audience should know about you. Well, relevant to today's appearance, I am a biology-based money management personal finance expert, and I'm also a certified identity theft risk management expert. I uh, have um, had an interesting life, you could say. I grew up so poor here in Arizona, where I still reside. And uh, we, my brother and I had nothing. We were so poor, get this, we had to envy the dirt poor kids because they had dirt. What? Yeah, so, uh, so I was in awe of the wealthy. I worked for them. You know, I uh, had my own job since this is a business show. I was an entrepreneur at 11. I had a lawn mowing, babysitting, housekeeping service. Uh, and I applied my wares throughout the uh, western portion here of Phoenix in the area that I lived. Uh, I had an advertisement in a community newsletter, and I had you know so much business. Um, but uh, I lived in a totalitarian form of government, and what that did essentially was teach me that uh, 100% taxation doesn't work. <laughs> and so as soon as I was of the age of majority, I beat feet, and I said, Mom, I can't support you. <laughs> i got to go make it out on my own. And I struck out on my own, and uh, I learned through trial and error that um, money management isn't logic-based. And along the way, I had become a victim several times of identity theft or fraud, and you would be surprised at where it comes from. So what encouraged me to get the certification and really focus on that is I was in mortgages at the time, and I was seeing this crop up with clients. A lot, and then I kind of transitioned to real estate, and I was still seeing this. But my husband and I were descended upon by the FBI, 
and somebody had committed tax fraud. And these people have actually went to jail, and it's been quite an, an interesting ride. And I've had so many problems just with so many things going on with um, the credit reports and stuff and trying to get that stuff corrected. Even though folks were caught and convicted, you know, tax liens are some of the toughest things to leverage off your credit. So that's how I got to where I am today. And I, um, I've just kind of been uh, making sure that everybody is aware of all of the different ways people can attack you, financially speaking, and, you know, really – um, they can really dash some of your hopes of, of financial freedom when you have big setbacks due to fraud, scams, and now we've got this ransomware stuff. Just how dangerous is social networking? Use of websites like Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube are all the rage. But what are the downsides of this new technology? The incidents of bullying, stalking, harassment, and inappropriate content are increasing. Just how dangerous is it? What can you do to protect your child and yourself from it? Go to protectivecountermeasures.com for a free hour-long video on the dangers of social networking. That's protectivecountermeasures.com for your free hour-long video. Hello? Hello? Heather, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. I don't know what happened. Oh, I know what happened. Our t uh, we had a technical problem. Anyway, we're back. Uh -oh. Now, um, Heather, welcome to, uh, welcome back. Uh, the problem was all ours. And, um, uh, Again, my question to you was, tell us uh, what is ransomware and what does it mean and how does, uh, does it affect us all? Ransomware is some pretty scary stuff. Ransomware is a form of software that gets placed on your computer. It's what you've heard maybe in the form of malware or malicious software. And what it does is it holds your data ransom. And uh, it can be a couple of different ways that it gets implanted. It can be you clicking on what they call link bait articles maybe, and you're on uh, this website and it's like, you know, the three celebrities that lost weight, number two is surprising, you know. And you click on it, and then while you click on it, it's not. it takes you to a website that is able to put this software onto your computer and then what happens is, you know, uh, at whatever particular time it's set to go off, it then locks up your computer and asks you to pay for a key to unlock it. So they hold your data hostage. Uh, some of them are very, very aggressive. Um, you know, it can start out as just something simple like Scareware where it's phony and it puts up a phony virus warning and say, buy this software, you know, and our, our antivirus software will take and remove it. And it comes up just like as a pop-up from some website that you visited. And so you think, oh, my gosh, it's a notice from my computer, so you click on it. 
And then you see, oh, okay, so it says install this software for 15 20 bucks. It's always a small dollar amount. And uh, it says, okay, then we'll get your computer clean. And then it puts more ransomware on your computer, more malicious software. And then it keeps asking you to pay to clean it off. Um, and then uh, the one of the scary things about the ransomware is that it will actually start threatening you. Like, you know, if somebody's been kidnapped, and they say, okay, we're going to start cutting off fingers until you send us the money. They start deleting your data and and, and terrorizing you in that fashion. Uh, and and then you know you're like, okay, well, what do I do? You know, I, I've got this virus and and I need my data. Maybe I haven't backed it up or I can't remember the last time I backed it up. And now I'm kind of freaked out. So most of the time, people pay the ransom, and uh, that's what kind of encourages these people to continue to do this. Are you hearing me? Yes, I hear you just fine. Um, uh, they, um, they ask you to pay off in bits. Oops, I just lost you again. I think you were saying bit, so I'm going to assume you were referring wait, to wait, Bitcoin. Don't, well, don't, don't hang up. Okay, oh, there I you are now. I know what's the problem now. I got the technical problem resolved. Uh, okay, anyway, perfect now. Mike, um, oftentimes these um, criminals ask you to pay off in Bitcoin, which apparently is very difficult to uh, trace once it uh, hits the system. Is that true, uh, Heather? Yeah, Bitcoin is just one of many types of technologies that they ask you to pay with. Most of the time they have you wire it and uh or they have you buy prepaid debit cards so it's not really trackable there's a variety of fashions it's not just a bitcoin thing bitcoin is pretty easy because uh, instead of having a transaction when you pay on the internet for example when you use a regular credit card it's what they call a pull transaction so the data is pulled um, and Bitcoin um, is very effective for many types of scams in the sense that it's a push transaction the user has to initiate the transaction as opposed to being able to create fraud in a in a credit card account so you the individual so you are usually duped or scammed or led into it um, because it's a push transaction and it's not really traceable ideally well let me ask Heather uh, you said, but but literally, if you click on um, an email from from you, or if you go to a, a rogue site, is that how you get this? Uh, how do they really get you? I know you were explaining it, but um, what do you do to prevent from prevent this from happening? Oh well, there's a lot of ways that you can take um, and and work to prevent this. So, um, one of the first things that you need to do is to make sure that you have antivirus software on your computer. Now, it is reactionary because in order for it to really truly protect you, it's got to know what the code is that's being infected. Um, you always want to make sure that you're surfing to reputable websites. This will happen at quasi-reputable websites, like these big news websites that have a bunch of ads on there. Uh, the advertising people are using ad channels that may be having the ransomware, you know, and, and the the ads that will lead you off track that you can click on. So 
you know, if you already have an antivirus software, know what the brand is, look at it, look at what some of the alerts are. So view screenshots of it inside the program or surf through the program yourself so you know when it's being when it's your antivirus versus just a main pop-up from any website that you happen to visit and they just happen to put a pop-up ad on that looks like your antivirus software. You need to make sure that you have a firewall, especially if you're on Wi-Fi in your home, uh, because you want to be able to keep the people out of your system so they can't get onto your system and infect you without your permission. The other thing you need to do is continually back up your files, whether it's to a physical external hard drive or to maybe some sort of a cloud service. That will help alleviate some of the threat uh, or the the, um, the emotions that they can lord over you um, when you know they, they threaten to delete all of your data on your computer. Because uh, if you back it up, you've got all your data, minus whatever you've been doing in the last few minutes or so. So it's no big deal if somebody does that, because you can always reinstall software. So we can alleviate some of that stress of that. You need to make sure that you have a pop-up blocker put on your browser, so you won't have all of those ads popping up that look like fake antivirus warnings. Never click on links inside of emails and avoid suspicious websites. And when I say never click on links in emails, if your bank sends you a notice and it looks like it's like you need to check your account, click here. If you hover over it, you can clearly see when you just hover over the link in the lower left corner of your browser, a window will pop up, a, a very tiny one, and it will show you the actual website that it's taking you to, and likely it's not your bank's website. So if you do any online banking or any of that stuff, you need to go do it directly at the website. Type in the name in the browser. Don't save passwords. I know it's a pain in the butt, and it's not how we're biologically set up. But, you know, we're biologically set up to move towards pleasure and away from pain. And, and if I don't have to type in my supercalifragilisticexpialidocious with letters and numbers and symbols every time I want to visit my bank or some other website that I'm a member to, um, then, and that makes it easier, then my brain likes that. And so then my body likes that because it lets me feel comfortable and ease um, inside my system. And, and every time I have to type that in, it's a pain in my butt. So that's why I don't do it. And, and so I opt for convenience, but I'm trading my security for convenience. And there's greater ramifications of that. If you happen to already have the software coming up on your computer, the first thing you need to do is shut off your Wi-Fi or rip out that Internet cable. Because if they can't connect to the Internet, they can't transmit your data. If they're looking for financial data to steal while they're distracting you with the ransomware note, then that way they can't get the information. If it pops up, immediately disconnect your computer from the Internet. And then you can take it to a computer specialist and they can get the ransomware off. And the most important thing, in order for us to catch these people and get it to stop, you must report it. Ransomware is a form of extortion. Now, you start with your local police, but they might not be equipped to deal with this, but the FBI has their own cyber division, and the more data that you can give them, the faster that they can get a hold of who's doing this and stop it. Wow, that's a, that's, that's a lot. Please, uh, Heather, keep going. Uh, you're on a <laughs> roll, and I'm sure our audience is enjoying it. 
And, uh, yeah, and well, you know. Tell I mean, us more. We, um, I can't uh, tell you well, more. Let me, let me tell well, you I'll why ask this you a happened. question about it. Uh, it sure. seems that most of these people are, are foreign, uh, are originating from foreign countries. Is that also a tip-off? Well, yes, but you're not necessarily going to know that. So, so I'll, I'll give you a little flavor of identity theft and ransomware and cybercrime from my brain and biology-based perspective. Because uh, the way we do money management at the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation is different. Because both you and I already know to spend less and save more, don't we? Mm-hmm. Okay, but do you? <laughs> no. That's a, exactly exactly. So if we know better, why don't we do better? Because knowing better has nothing to do with it. If you think about the percentage of the conscious and unconscious brain, you know we only use about twelve percent of our conscious brain. That's where our logic resides. That's where discipline and, and our ability to. Um, uh, adhere, willpower, all of that is a conscious activity, but 88% of our brain is subconscious, and our behavior comes out of that part of our brain. Okay? You know, um, right. the brain is lazy, and it loves simplicity, so it creates all of these programs and patterns and habits, if you will. And your brain doesn't really know the difference on the subconscious level, whether it is a good habit or a bad habit. It just knows that it's created the electrical wiring in the system when it receives a certain stimulus that it's going to put out this response. And getting up early to go to the gym is probably not hardwired in for some people that are trying to lose weight, so it's easier to whack that snooze bar again. And, and that's why, because the behavior isn't set. The pattern isn't there. All right. So knowing that uh, the brain is basically lazy and it creates all these patterns and systems to make it run more efficiently, um, and the fact that even though we have this sophisticated brain, I call it the three amigos model for information processing, we still take in stimulus um, through our in initial survival brain. So we go instinctive, then we go emotion and memory, and then we go logic. So just because we know what to do doesn't mean we'll do it. So if we look at ransomware or frauds or scams in general, the reason why we fall for this is because they play on our basic survival instinct to seek pleasure and avoid pain. Now, one of the things that's kind of interesting, we have this natural negativity bias, and this is what protected us against saber-toothed tigers, okay? But it's still there in our bodies, even though our brains have evolved to create computers that are smarter than us, it doesn't matter because we still process information through this first brain. I call him the I do or initial decision officer, and he's Mr. Fight, Freeze, or Flee. And the ransomware people know this. The scam artists know this. The confidence men know this. And what they do is they play upon this need. And so they also know that, we are more likely to move away from pleasure, or away from pain, than to seek pleasure because the absence of pain can be interpreted by the body as pleasure. If I'm not hurting, I'm okay. I don't necessarily need to be in a state of joy, but I just need to not be hurting. And so, because of that, 
they turn up the pain. That's why they hold your data hostage. And what happens when you get that pop-up, and the reason why you pay that money is because you get freaked out, and all of a sudden the I do starts scrambling, and he's dumping hormone. And what happens when, when that happens, when he starts signaling the brain to start dumping hormone, you're going into fight, freeze, or flee. And so immediately this hormone rushes blood to the extremities, it amps out the heart rate, it dilates the blood vessels so you can take an action right now. And when it does that, you lose fine motor skills and logic and decision-making. So unless your behavior is patterned into the subconscious, into that 88%, you've got a 12% chance of, of effectively dealing with this situation. So what we need to do is make ourselves aware of what's going on. So go look Go surfing on the Internet. The FBI has a great website. Their Cyber Crimes Division has a great website. And also we have a really great website, and my book is coming out this summer called Money, Credit, and You, How to Avoid Identity Theft, Frauds, and Scams. And it's a compendium of all the different frauds and scams that are out there. So you can familiarize yourself with it so then you can know when it's happening and you can stop your own I do from saying, oh, it's, a, it's an emergency and start dumping hormone and keeping you from successfully overcoming what's going on with all of these cyber criminals. Uh, would you mind uh, tell people how they can reach you and, and your various services? Okay, so if folks are interested in improving their overall money management skills, they can tune in to my radio show. It's available at unlockyourwealthradio.com. And if they're concerned about identity theft, frauds, or scams, they need to visit my website at moneycreditandyou.com. And they can sign up to be the first to relieve the, receive the notices when we pre-launch the book coming out this summer. Well, we're going to have you back on uh, to talk about that and a lot of other things uh, later on this year when the near when the book appears. Uh, we want to thank okay. you, Heather, for being with us today and talking about ransomware. I know I learned. Yeah, a the lot. pleasure was mine, Don. Well, yeah, oh, and I hope your listeners gain some value too. Well, I hope they do, and I'll know soon enough because I usually get a few emails about it, and I'll pass them on. Outstanding. Will you make it a prosperous day? Thank you. We have two new guests on. I know one of them is Michael uh, Gansey of uh, Voices of Reasons Consulting, but I also have someone else on, 212-390-1402. Welcome to the program. So tell me who you are. Cause, hello? Yeah, hello. Hi, this is Mike Gansel. Can you hear me? Uh, Donald? Oh, absolutely, Mike. Well, uh, uh, we also have another I, guest on. This uh, is Matt, my, my partner. I'm just uh, listening in. Ah, okay. Did, did not know that would uh, would happen. You're welcome to come on board. But just wanted to make sure, because I know we only invite. I thought only Mike was coming on board, but I'm glad well, two's better than one. Uh, right. Well, um, Matt will just keep me honest. If I if if I happen to say something that doesn't agree, which is typical of us, then he'll say something. But if I if I told the mark correctly and uh, I say all the right things, then he'll just be listening. Well, uh, no, we welcome uh, comments. First, uh, Michael, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we get into anything else. 
Oh, let's see. I guess where I start is um, I've been uh, a businessman for uh, quite some time. I didn't start out as a business person, but uh, I guess uh, in about 1985, Matt and I uh, founded a company called uh, Netland, and we were a, uh, a networking systems integration technology company, and we grew that company uh, to about $18 million in sales over the course of uh, 15 years, and uh, we had a great run. We were, uh, I guess, at the, uh, the forefront of technology in New York City in those days, and um, it uh, was, I guess, uh, I managed to get my Ph.D. in the School of Hard Knocks. I live in New York. I have a, a daughter. I'm married, and um, I love I love the city, and uh, I intend to live here for as long as I can. Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. I think Matt's Matt. on mute. Matt, are you there? Get yourself off mute. Oh, I'm tell, sorry. Tell he us has, a little bit just... about yourself since you're on the program. Tell, well, uh, I audience think would like to know a little bit about actually, you. Actually, Don, I think he just had to cough. Uh, he's uh, probably taking care of uh, one of our clients who probably has uh, some emergency that's happening right now. So uh, I think uh, unless he can come back, I think he's uh, gone on to help one of our clients. Okay. Well, uh, that's what this program is about because most small business leaders – are 24-7 exactly. uh, people. So, exactly. uh, Michael, uh, tell us about uh, how, you, how you turn business owners into CEOs. I love that uh, expression. It was in, in your note to me, and I'd like you to kind of expand on that. Okay. Well, I'm glad you said that um, because typically what you think about is a business owner – there, there are three elements that we work with a business owner to turn them into a CEO. One is we help them systematize their business. I mean, the reality is, is that a business owner is stuck in the day-to-day, uh, two hands, ten fingers, and um, really doesn't seem to have the time to systematize the business, doesn't have the time to write job descriptions, doesn't have the time to train people, doesn't have the time to... Uh, give their vision, uh, and all of that. So when we come in, we're basically going to develop a, a, what we call key performance indicators that help a business owner systematize the business. And in essence, a chief executive officer, a CEO, one of the things that they do is they look at their business. Their goal is to scale the business, and the only way you can scale the business is if you have systems. So that's one of the first things we do. The second part, is we help business owners to come deterministic. In other words, uh, is the business just coming over the transom? You know, is it just floating in? Or is the business owner looking at how business comes into their, into how they actually develop the revenue, and are they being deterministic? Are they choosing their clients? Are they choosing their target? Are they choosing the products that they can offer? So often a business owner starting out will do everything and anything for the client. And so, you know, you've heard the term pivot. So if you have one client who happens to ask you to do this, you do that. The next client asks you to do something else, you do that. And in essence, you're really not being deterministic. And so the job of the CEO is to basically chart the course for the business. Who is the target? What are the products? What are the services? What is the culture? 
what is our mission, those are some of the elements that a chief executive officer brings to a business. And then lastly, we help our clients uh, basically uh, increase the value of their business. So what does that mean? Well, let's just say that um, we look at the industry that a particular business is in, and we say, well, if you continue to do transactions and just transactional business, don't have monthly recurring revenue, and you do want to sell your business in the next five years, what will be the value, what will be the multiple that you will be able to get for selling your business? And so we'll look at an industry and we'll say, well, gee, maybe the industry, this particular industry that you're in, maybe the multiple, the, the best multiple you can get for selling your business would indeed be not doing transactional business, but developing a source of monthly recurring revenue. And so we will then help shift the business into the goal of developing monthly, uh, monthly recurring revenue. Now, again, that's the job of a CEO. CEO's job is to increase the value of the business, increase the profitability. And so and I hope in what I've been saying, these three steps of being systematizing, being deterministic, and increasing the value, I think I've been delineating the difference between a business owner and a CEO. And that path of becoming a business owner to a CEO um, takes some time, and I think it does take uh, some vision and hopefully the voice of reason consulting, which is Max and my business, uh, hope that uh, that's what that people see that we can do that. Does that answer your question, Donald? Well, it's a, it's the beginning. You, you know, you 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 said a, uh, a lot, and uh, um, I, I guess um, my next obvious question is: All right, you you, uh, you have ideas. Uh, you're helping the people. What are the three most crucial things um, an owner must do to, to turn into a CEO? Hmm. Well, I think uh, I guess I'll go back to what I said: systematize their business, become deterministic, and focus well, how do you, on. But how do you systematize a business? Well, one of the ways is you have a job description for every single person. You set expectations appropriately. You start uh, to uh, delineate who does what. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen situations where people who are partners basically assume because they're partners that they both should be doing the same thing. And since they're partners and, you know, they're, they're really not accountable to anybody but themselves, then they don't delineate what their job functions are. So systematizing is that training people so that when you hire someone, somebody knows exactly what to do, setting expectations appropriately. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot that goes into systematizing, uh, but understanding everybody's function is a key factor. Yeah, you know, I've often told that when, when people begin to understand uh, and do what you say uh, in this process, they oftentimes – um, uh, discover that, that they're spending too much money on uh, on certain things and not enough on others, yet are reluctant to change because, quote, that's the way we've always done it. What do you oh, say yeah. to that? I, well, here's what I say to that. And I, I use this concept of pain. And, um, you know, I'm very sales-oriented. So I will say that pain is an emotionally compelling reason to act 
or change. So I will also say that when the pain of change is, is greater than the pain of staying the same, people do not change. So I think that the way you get people to change is to demonstrate how much pain they really are in so that they realize that tolerating the pain, the current, the status quo is so bad, is so much worse than change, then they will make the change. Does that, does that resonate with you, Donald? It resonates with me, but, but I've often heard that it doesn't um, – um, it often leads to conflict uh, within the organization. And, of course. Uh, of course. So I'll tell you one of the most – one of the things. My partner, Matt, has always said to me, show me a company with 10 people, and I can tell you that one of them should be fired. And, you know, it would always irritate me that he would say that. But, you know, the truth of the matter is he's right. And I think the toughest decision that business owners can make is they keep people on too long because it's easier to do that than to basically face the fact that, you know, the status quo, doing things the way we always do, isn't really the best strategy for scaling the company. Um, And it's not easy to make people change. I I can tell you, here's another thing. You, You talk to a business owner and you say to him, and he says, you know, I recently read the book uh, Going from Good to Great. Um, I forget who writes that, but it's very, you know, in the, certainly in the popular business uh, literature, Going Good to Great. And I say, well, uh, is, this, is this individual great? And he's saying, yes. Is this individual great? Yes. Is this individual great? No. He's actually terrible. So then I would say, well, why is he working here? If you really want to make this company go from good to great, and you have somebody whom you consider terrible, why are they still here? And well, What if well, the answer think, is, but he's my wife's brother? Well, you know what, Don? I've had to fire. Uh, I've had to fire my brother. In fact, Matt at one time, many years ago, had to fire his brother. Not an easy thing to do. I don't think my sister, you know, I, um, my sister would never forgive me for uh, letting my brother-in-law go. But, hey, Business is business, and, you know, as much as it's personal, there's also uh, a point where it's not. And maybe that's one of the things that delineates a business owner from a CEO is sort of that balancing act between the personal and the business. And it's a real tightrope at times. We both know that. Well, we, we both do. <laughs> it's very interesting to bring it out. But uh, oftentimes, you know, I – I, uh, in my career, have been in both large and small businesses, and the thing I've hated most are job descriptions, which often do not uh, really reflect what a person does, no matter how much um, they try. And how do you expect... Well, let, a, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No. Well, no, I, 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 did, I didn't mean to interrupt. Ask me the question. How do you expect... Um. Uh, um uh, 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 an individual, uh, a small business owner, to write a spec that really reflects what it, the people are doing. Well, I'll tell you how I how I suggest that. Um, I think you take that job description and you you cut it. You you basically uh, make two columns: the formal and the informal. You take or another way of looking at it: the must-haves, the nice-to-haves. 
And I think that if you do that, you then begin to see the totality of that. So you give the job description more than just words. You look at it from the formal perspective. You look at it from the informal. Because you know in every organization there's a formal culture and then there's the informal culture. You know, there's the people with the job titles and then there's really what, what happens, what really happens. So you look at both formal and informal. So in that job description, you look at when you write it, you look at whether you've got uh, the must-haves and the nice-to-haves. And then you walk that balance. And you basically say, you know what? This really isn't part of the job that I'm looking this person to do. Or, yeah, that really is because there's both the formal and the informal. I think it's a reasonable approach. In a small business, most employees uh, do more than one job. That's How do you correct. decide? How do you decide uh, which um, uh, which are the most important and which are, as you said, the nice to have? And how do you communicate that to the individual? Hmm. Well, uh, I think that. Hmm. Well, there are there, there are different ways. One is you can actually survey your customers. Uh, you can actually hire an outside organization or the CEO can call some of his best and worst clients and basically ask them some questions as to, you know, how are they being served, what are their needs being met, um, you know, what um, a variety of questions. Uh, is the company attentive to their needs? Is the company listening to what they have to say? Is the company being proactive? You know, a whole list of things. And then you can uh, do the same thing with your personnel. You can ask them the question, gee, uh, tell me about uh, ABC client. Tell me, uh, if you were to, on a scale of one to 10 or one to five, tell me how attentive we are, so on and so forth. So you begin to get an idea as to what the perception of the, of the company is and a from the outside and a perception from the inside. Um, and then you can begin to look at what people are doing. And I think if you want, you see, here, here's the challenge. If you want to scale a company, you've got to know that you go from everybody doing everything to then basically delineating so people get levels of specialty. And the only way to grow that company is to get to those levels of specialty. Otherwise, you can choose to remain the same and everyone will indeed do everything. And, I mean, that will be fine. Uh, there's not every business uh, should scale. Not every business is uh, whether it's a good idea for it to scale. And that's because the business owner may say, you know what, I'm comfortable being just exactly this size in this space, and I'd rather my business be a lifestyle business than worry about growing it to uh, X factor. Just the fact I've had clients like that who, where we've done what we call our SWAT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And after having spent several hours just determining what the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats of his business were, he came to the conclusion that he did not want to grow it, that he was comfortable being in the space that he was, at the level that he was, and he didn't want to get to the next level. And he thanked us for helping him make that decision. Hmm. Um. Uh, going a step 
going a step further, uh, oftentimes uh, when an owner um, starts to think about things, valuations, selling, etc., it thought, looks about uh, a succession. We're seeing today in the pages of the, of the Wall Street Journal how the founder of Pulte Building is now fighting his successor, uh, even though he left the company. How do you convince someone to build a succession plan or to bring up people and let them make decisions? Uh, you know, um, <laughs> I've, I've given up a long time ago trying to convince people. It's something that they, it's something that they want to do. Um, and so I think that uh, every business has a life cycle. So, you know, you say to somebody, well, how long do you think your business can last? Uh, will it last 15 years? Do you want to be working 15 years, running your own business? Do you want to be working five years? And then the fellow says, well, I want to be working five, I want to be working five years. And then I, want to re- I, I basically want to stop. Oh, then the next question is, well, uh, do you have a plan? Well, do you want to sell the business at the end of those five years? Oh, yes, I want to sell the business. I want to get something out of it. Okay. That being said, um, you know, uh, how, how, who would replace you? Do you have some intellectual property? Do you have somebody who would replace you? Uh, you know, do you have some way of guaranteeing that you'll get the value of the business that you're looking for when you no longer are in the business? Unless you just continue to ask the questions and then let people answer it for themselves and then let them come to this, their own conclusion by basically, uh, I guess, uh, getting past, you know, there, it's interesting. There are three elements to finding out what people really feel what they want to do. One is um, the business. Uh, I'm sorry. One is the surface question. I want to, uh, I want to sell my business. Well, then, then you get into, well, let's talk about the business side of those questions. How much do you want for the business? When do you want to sell the business, et cetera? And then finally get down to the personal. Well, what will it mean to you? What will it mean to you if you sell the business? What would it mean to you if you don't have somebody to succeed you? What would it mean to you if you don't get quite the uh, value of the business that you're looking for? And when you present that funnel of questions going from the surface to the business to the personal, people will see for themselves and then make their own decisions. And those questions and the answers are not meant for me to convince them, but for them to convince themselves and make their own choices. Does does that sound reasonable? Sounds reasonable. I like what you said earlier. You've given up trying to convince people, but let them them, uh, come to the conclusion themselves. Very, very... Right. And, you know, that's what the job of the salesperson is, really, to let people come to their own conclusions by asking them the questions that people have to answer themselves. I can't, I as a consultant, I, I, I as a salesperson, I can't make those decisions. I can only hold up the mirror by asking the appropriate questions and people look in the mirror and see whatever reflection they want to see. Very accurate. Very true. Um, uh, your com- Michael, your company again, and how they can reach you, and all, everything else that you want to say I, about yourself? 
Sure. Thank you so much for that opportunity, Don. So the name of the company is Voice of Reason Consulting. You can find us on the web, voiceofreasonconsulting.com. You can find Michael Gansel, that's G-A-N-S-L, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my partner's name is Matt Plosiak, P as in Peter, L-O-C-I-A-K. Matt, you can find uh, on our website. You can find our bios, but you can also find Matt on LinkedIn. Um, you can find the Voice of Reason Consulting uh, company page on LinkedIn. I think you can find the Voice of Reason Consulting page, company page on Facebook. Uh, and um, you, uh, we offer the opportunity to have a conversation with anyone who's interested in talking to us 20, 30 minutes, ask us a variety of questions, many of the same questions that you've asked us, Don, and we're happy to have you know, a, a consultation for that. We love learning about people's businesses, um, and really our mission, as I said earlier, is, and by the way, we service market this, we trademarked it, we, we help turn business owners into CEOs. That's really our passion. Um, both Matt and I went through the School of Hard Knocks. We got our PhDs in becoming CEOs, and we want to basically help other people do it a little easier than, than it was for us. Um, uh, Mike, a final question for you. What, were the, what would be the three things uh, that you would say to anybody, uh, any small business owner, that you, that you think are most cri critical to, to their success? Okay. I think the, the most critical thing is have you identified the key performance indicators that will help you understand and potentially grow your business. So here's, here's where I'm at with that. I believe that a, a business owner who wants to increase the value of their business must know every single moment where his business or her business is at. And then, therefore, they must have... So what are the three elements every business? Every business, every, every single business in every industry has three concerns. Revenue, expenses, and people. That's the top. Now, what you need to do is understand what are the key performance indicators within those three areas, revenue, expenses, and people, that you should be looking at as often as possible to really help you understand where you are at at any moment in time. If you really understand your business, then you can determine where you want to grow it to and what you want out of the business. And I hope that answers the question. Oh, that terrific answer. Mike, I want to thank you for joining us today. And ho um, hope you're coming back again sometime, and we'll talk more. I'd love that. And I want to thank you again for the opportunity. And uh, it would be my pleasure uh, to engage in an additional conversation uh, going forward. Thanks a lot, Don. And I really appreciate your time, and I hope the audience uh, enjoys this conversation. I know I learned a lot. I hope our audience did as well. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening. And we'll be here again next week 
with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here 